Hi, I'm Jason Nichols, and I'm on the left. And I'm Vince Colonnese, and I'm on the right. And, and if, if we, we can't, can't find, find common, common ground, ground in this world, world today, today, then we're all just travelers. Passing each other in an international airport. And this great American experiment will be relegated to the trash bin of history. So let's come together to debate without yelling. And, and let's, let's save, save this, this nation. nation. The FBI gets involved in the business of school boards and Facebook, as usual, is up in all, all of our business. It's Vincent Jason, Save the Nation. You've got the attorney general saying, hey, if anybody threatens somebody who works for a school, we need to have the FBI look into whether or not it's a credible threat. It's just like cigarettes. Teenagers don't have good self-regulation. They say explicitly, I feel bad when I use Instagram and yet I can't stop. Vincent Jason Save the Nation is brought to you by the great folks over at Gold Co. Why buy gold? Are you watching what's happening in the world today? The global pandemic, the U.S. debt piling up, spiking inflation, and the looming Biden tax plan. In the 2008 financial crisis, many Americans lost huge amounts of their retirement savings. So what are you doing now to protect your money? Well, many turn to Gold Co. It's the leading precious metals company in the United States and a five-time Inc. 500 winner. With an A-plus rating from the Better Business Bureau and thousands of positive customer reviews, you can trust the team at GoldCo to help protect and grow your wealth. Go to goldco.com slash save the nation to request your free IRA guide that will share secrets with you that financial advisors don't tell you about. So what are you waiting for? Don't delay and fall victim to another stock market crash, inflation hike, or dollar decline. Visit goldco.com slash save the nation and get your free IRA guide today. If you visit goldco.com slash save the nation right now, Goldco will give you up to $10,000 or more of free silver when you open a qualifying account. That's right, up to $10,000 in free silver. We thank Gold Co. for sponsoring this podcast. Now, back to the show. Hey, guys. Welcome back to Vince and Jason Save the Nation. We got a great show for you today. Uh, Vince, what do we have? Big statement this week from Attorney General Merrick Garland released earlier this week, Jason, uh, indicating uh, that he is now going to be using the resources of the entire Department of Justice to focus on uh, what he says are alleged threats at school board meetings across the country. Now, let's take a look at uh, former Reagan Education Secretary Bill Bennett. He was on Fox News this week talking about this very thing. Let's take a look. Over the last couple of months, we've heard so, we've seen, you know, Loudoun County elsewhere, parents are upset with critical race theory. They're upset that the kids have got to wear masks and, and mandates and stuff like this. And now you've got the attorney general saying, hey, if anybody threatens somebody who works for a school, we need to have the FBI look into whether or not it's a credible threat. Yeah, the FBI. Now, look, no, no one should be threatened. Uh, no one should be attacked physically. Uh, violence is uh, obviously not appropriate. But this criticism of school board members is entirely appropriate. And given what's going on in the schools, uh, we should have uh, more of it. This is the Empire Strikes Back, Steve. Right. Or years ago, when I was education secretary, I termed a phrase called the blob, which <laughs> is the education establishment. And so you might say this is the revenge of the blob. The blob is striking back. But to use the power of the FBI to suggest uh, that parents should shut up, which is really what they're saying mm-hmm. here, uh, and uh, let uh, the schools uh, do whatever they want to do, uh, 
you know, this notion that parents should not have the major say in the education of their children. Right. Um, this is what's at stake right now. Well, historically, you know, if there is a threat, uh, and I know the National School Board Association cited some guy in, I think, Illinois right. went to a school board meeting and, and right, punched right. out a, 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 one of the people on the board. Uh, but there was somebody who apparently uh, a letter was sent to a school board member in Ohio, and they said, we are coming after you. We are forcing them to wear a mask for no reason in this world other than control. And for that, you will pay dearly. Now, that's something that historically local law enforcement would look into. But now you've got the full weight of the Department of Justice behind it. Yeah, local law enforcement can handle that. We don't need the power of the FBI. But if they're doing that, maybe they'll uh, go after these people who are following uh, Senator Sinema and others into bathrooms uh, and intimidating them. You know, they're saying this is terrorism, uh, you know, uh, uh, when, when parents speak up against school board members. Uh, no, this is overkill. Uh, and uh, this will not go down well, and it shouldn't go down well. Listen, we are in serious discussion here about American schooling. Uh, I talked to a parent the other night who said, I pulled all my kids out of public school because the teachers were saying, what gender do you want to be today? What gender do you want to be next week? What pronouns do you like? We're just not doing it. This is a full employment for homeschool and religious schools, given the reaction of the public school establishment. All right, Bill Bennett, making a couple points there, Jason. What do you think of this idea that the uh, the FBI would be involved in going after parents who confront school boards across the country? Well, uh, it seems as though there have been threats made against school board members and other uh, staff at schools, and those should be investigated. That does seem like it's more of a local issue. And so I, I the only thing that I am wondering here. Uh, Bill Bennett seems to be excusing really reprehensible behavior. But what I'm wondering is why this isn't a local issue. Why aren't local law enforcement taking the lead here and dealing with this unless this is coming from some sort of coordinated effort across the country uh, led by terror organizations or, or uh, there's something that connects Loudoun County to you know Michigan and to mm -hmm. Arizona. Uh, I'm not sure why the FBI is involved. And that could be just my lack of knowledge about how these things work. But for me, it seems like these are local issues that should yes. be investigated by local law enforcement. That doesn't mean that, of course, there should not be uh, punishment um, and, and repercussions for making violent threats, sure. which it seems like it's happening all across the country so uh, by these people who are uh, you know, we saw what happened in Loudoun County. That was, there was, in it, there was no excuse for that. Um, those parents acted worse than their children and uh, intimidated uh, people who were elected to, to serve on school boards. By the way, we all know the whole critical race theory thing is a, is a myth. But either way, uh, I think it's really terrible that, that these things are happening. I just don't like, you know, this is one thing that I'll kind of side with conservatives on. And that is uh, the the length of the administrative state here uh, getting involved in local issues. Yeah, I mean, your skepticism is well warranted about the federal government getting involved at all. Uh, so the idea that there's widespread threats or acts of violence of any kind uh, is, has not been substantiated. So one, you know, the National Association of School Boards released a letter last week basically demanding this action from the Justice Department. And in, ex and in exchange, that's exactly what the Biden Justice Department did this week. They came out and they announced that they're going to be 
treating all of this as some sort of special focus. But when I say all of this, like, wouldn't you think that Merrick Garland would support, would provide any supporting data whatsoever to claim that there is some sort of meaningful threat against school boards nationwide? He didn't provide a single piece of Well, here's data. the thing. Uh, I think that the FBI is the Federal Bureau of Investigation. So perhaps he's saying we need to investigate this, which I think is, is fine. We've seen the administrative state and particularly the FBI being misused uh, yeah. very recently, of course, with this whole thing about black identity extremists, there was no such thing. Trump-Russia you know, collusion. You know, all these kinds of things that, that uh, where we've seen the FBI go a little bit off the rails and just try to, uh, you know, attack people politically. I, I think that there probably are threats. I just don't think that there is a connection from state to state other than the media blowing up something that they call critical race theory, which isn't critical race theory. It's really just the teaching of American history. And we've seen that, of course, in, in a clip that you and I uh, talked about a few weeks ago, if anybody wants to go back and look at it, where they're trying to get rid of books on, on Rosa Parks, <clears throat> because that's critical race theory, I guess. Um, so I, I think that with these kinds of threats that are, you know, yeah. uh, coming in, they, they maybe want to investigate these things, but I think they should be investigated I at just, the local level. My, my only point is that there's just no evidence. There's no meaningful evidence of threats on a broad scale. Like there are one-off stories where people may have threatening language and you're right. They should be investigated at a local level. But beyond that, this is a cartoonish, uh, a, a display by the Biden administration designed to demonize parents who are dissenting in these school board meetings and their dissent is well earned. I, I, you, of course, know that I disagree with you on the idea that critical race theory, broadly defined, uh, is, broadly is, is being brought into the That's schools. A, yeah, because I'm not, I'm not broad. You can. <laughs> yeah, because look, critical race theory, like I, the left has kind of tried to hide behind its um, specific use in terms of the semantics here inside of law school educations. But the reality is that you've had the major teachers unions in the country, gigantic Democrat donors, who have been crowing about the inclusion of critical race theory. This is their, their language, not mine, in uh, K through 12 education. And what that means is not that they're teaching people legal doctrines. What it means is that they're infusing some sense of, you know, we use the word equity and, and race essentialism to describe what's happening inside of public school educations and certainly uh, with administrators. And the, the point of all of that is to emphasize race consciousness and to emphasize the role that yeah. race plays. And to ban Rosa Parks. Yeah, and, and I disagree with banning Rosa Parks or education about Rosa Parks in any capacity. I, if, and as I, as I told you when that came up in the first place. But anyway, my point is that, I, is that the entirety of American history should be taught. We should not constrain right. it. Uh, and tell people to think of each other on the basis of their race um, and themselves for that matter. Yeah, well, I, I think, again, we don't, we don't have to go through all of this, but I think uh, if we are making efforts to not mention race, um, then we are not telling the story of America. We're not telling no, it's, the American story. Yeah. If we are making efforts to not talk about segregation and to right. not talk about slavery, we agree. And to not talk about it the way that it actually happened and the cruelty in, in which yep. it, it, it happened, which is what it seems to be the goal. Uh, and that's why you see, you know, them trying to ban anything that has to do with race. So, and they call it critical race theory because as uh, the guy who actually uh, really coined uh, or, or created this outrage on the right, 
uh, he said critical race theory was the perfect villain. So, he, you know, he was like, you know, woke is one thing and all that. But yeah, this is the perfect villain. So we can we can demonize the left um, when, in fact, it's really just about teaching history as it happened. And that's the way you avoid repeating history. But again, we've seen that there is a warfare. <clears throat> one of my favorite quotes, and I'll just end on this. One of my favorite quotes is by a guy named Brian Stevenson. Are you familiar with Brian Stevenson? No, I'm not. Yeah, re really interesting guy, civil rights lawyer. Um, and Brian Stevenson, he wrote a really good book. One of the things that he said is that the, the great evil, and, I, and I'm going to butcher this quote, but he basically says the great evil of uh, American slavery was not in involuntary servitude. It was the narrative that we created to justify it. And he goes on and essentially says that the North won the war, but the South won the narrative war. And I think that there's a, a point, and we know this through, through Lost Cross history, which basically went up through uh, you know, our parents um, and all of the monuments and everything that are, that are meant to kind of redeem uh, the people that you know, betrayed our country. <clears throat> and essentially, uh, we've gotten to a point where people don't want to talk about history as, as it was. And that's what, you know, we're seeing around the country, but all of that, with all of that said, the, the big issue and a place where I think we're going to find agreement is I'm not certain that the justice department needed to get involved, even if this is widespread around the country, which it very well could be. Uh, I'm not so sure that we need to have an FBI investigation when these are local threats that are not coordinated, uh, you know, by one entity or a bunch of entities. Well, exactly. And 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 again, I, I to to reemphasize, if you're going to release a statement like this, the FBI damn well better offer supporting evidence for it. They did none. So here's so this this move by Merrick Garland does two things. It attempts to demonize parents and to make them fearful that if they go and they dissent uh, in in a colorful way or in any capacity, no, if they threaten. Not it, if they dissent. That's no, but that's not what this is before. about. Yes, I, I. That's the that's the yeah, language don't that he people. tried you, to use. You can do what you want. Yeah, that's exactly right. But what they're trying to do is they want to demonize anybody who wants to be a part of dissenting. What does it mean to feel threatened? I mean, broadly, like if you if you come and you're like, hey, you're gonna the con you're gonna suffer the consequences for the decisions you've taken against these children. And so a parent could mean electorally that you're going to suffer the consequences. We're going to vote you out. We're going to recall you. But what is, how much does it take for an overzealous school board member to take, to take a statement like that and then to turn it around and call the FBI counterterrorism tip line? Have you heard to, like what some of these people have been saying? Like, yes, I have. You could pay the ultimate price. Like all of you deserve to be, you know, shot for treason. Like there are Who some really serious things that are being said at some of these school board meetings. Um, so I think that there are serious threats on the microphone, and I'm sure that there are probably threats off of it. So I think that those need to be investigated. But like I said, we agree it, it probably shouldn't come from the FBI. It should come from local law enforcement. And what's dangerous about this is by making this kind of announcement, what he's telling us is that the FBI is now going to be exerting its spying capabilities on parents, on people who go to these and concerned citizens. That that's really that's where we want our federal resources focused on going after American citizens. And like, 
well, we're not sure really what they meant when they said this, and but we're going to keep an eye on them now. We're going to, you know, pull warrants to, to, to check their emails. I mean, this is just completely outrageous. And, and I think, I think a total violation of civil liberties. And I agree with you. If somebody makes a real yeah, you threat, don't a, you don't have some, a right to threaten someone. That's, that's if, all I'm saying. If somebody makes a real threat of violence, or if somebody actually commits an act of violence, then yes, local law enforcement is the place for this. But the Fed's getting involved. This is another, we're, we're just cracking open another dangerous chapter in American history. And I think Merrick Garland, I think what he did this week was completely outrageous. Yeah, I think outrageous is an overstatement there. But I do think that uh, there are places for the federal government and there are places for local law enforcement. Uh, this seems... Like, unless there's some evidence that we don't know about where this is a coordinated effort throughout the nation, uh, not just something that, you know, people being whipped into a frenzy by dishonest media, which happens all the time. But we, I think people are, you know, that's what you're seeing here is people being whipped into some sort of weird frenzy. And that, you know, oh my God, my kid is gonna feel guilty. My kid is gonna hate themselves, which you, you know, you learned history, you don't hate yourself, but somehow your kid, is going to hate themselves because they hear about slavery uh, or, or segregation. I, I don't, you know, I think that that is what's happening, but it's not a coordinated effort across the nation. Uh, it's, it's a local issue, should be dealt with with local law enforcement. And if you're going to make threats on a microphone or in an email or in a letter or outside of a building, yes, you have broken the law. You don't go around threatening uh, physical violence or threatening people in different ways, uh, you know, and yes, you may be investigated. They may check you out. And I think that that's totally fair. As someone who's received a fair amount of threats, I think those people should be investigated. If it's a credible threat, we're talking about people who live in the same communities as people uh, who they are threatening. It's, you know, so when I've gone to law enforcement with credible threats, right, or with serious threats that people have been like, we're going to kill you or we're going to, you know, find your family. Uh, one of the things that law enforcement has said to me is we investigate, the first thing we look for, is this guy, you know, in your community? Mm -hmm. You know, is he, can he reach you? You know, if this is somebody, guy or, or woman, if this is somebody in California, you know, then the threat level goes down. You know what I mean? But if this is a guy who's, you know, 20 minutes away from you, then we are going to take this very seriously. Mm. Um, and these are situations where people, school board members are being threatened by people within their own communities. And I think that it mm. should be taken seriously. I just don't know that it should be a federal issue. It sounds to me, uh, again, I'm, I'm not an expert in law enforcement, but it sounds to me like this is a local issue and local law enforcement should be very vigilant about teachers who are trying to teach kids doing a job that you didn't like doing a couple of months ago when they had virtual school. When you had to sit there with your kids, you didn't like teaching them. You are gonna reward these public servants by threatening them? Uh, that really upsets me because I sat there with my kid during virtual school and I hated it. <laughs> you know what I mean? I appreciate teachers. Uh, and so if you're gonna go around threatening teachers, you know, you deserve to to be looked at by law enforcement. And if it's a credible thing, if you made a serious yeah. threat, then yes, you deserve the consequences of it. 
I just don't, I just, I think don't fall for the idea though, that this is widespread. That's all I'm saying. And like the, and we shouldn't delegitimize the very legitimate complaints of so many of these parents across the country who are confronting these school boards for good reason. I mean, they- yeah, that's a different issue though. Uh, first of all, I don't think I, I, you know, you and I disagree. I don't think that they're really that credible. I think it's, it's more about, you know, biases that people have, but, and, and being whipped into a frenzy by dishonest. Well, well let me, you, let me, you and if, I, hold on, hold on. You and I agree that no, the I media is often dis, dishonest. One second, Jason. I'm sorry. I just, I, I just let you make your point at length. I, I'd like to make this point. I just think that that the the parents who are going in there, it's not just about critical race theory, although that of course is a component to this, mm-hmm. uh, which and and I think an it's important one. Theory, um, so or whatever you want to call it, race essentialism, teaching kids to to focus on the race of their classmates and themselves as an essential way to identify how their lives are going to end up. I just all of that. I just think that there's something very toxic about that 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 is harmful. It's not. It doesn't uh, enhance humanity, but. That aside, there's also the addition, the the battling over learning loss and the fact that schools, especially in like areas around D.C., for instance, you know, uh, Montgomery County, Maryland, all sorts of places had needlessly shut down their school systems at the behest of the unions and put kids in this virtual learning situation for a long time uh, that led to dramatic learning loss among students who didn't need to undergo that. We saw private schools in session, public schools not. We saw scientist after scientist, health official after health official recommending that these schools get open because the reality was that the virus wasn't meaningfully hurting these young children in these schools. And in fact, the detriment to them was substantial, keeping them out of the classroom. Just the, all of the ways that these school boards did not pay attention to the needs of these families, and in particular, these children, has led these parents to be, I think, righteously indignant. And so that's why they're speaking up at these meetings. And now you don't have to support their cause. You don't have to think that, that they have merit. That's fine. But I do think it's important that the Justice Department not be used as a weapon in order to delegitimize them. I get it. It's very, you can, you can lean on the specific syntax. You can say, well, it's about threats. Don't make threats. Nobody should make threats. And if you do local law enforcement should investigate it. I agree on all those points, but it is a big thing when the attorney general of the United States makes it seem like that this well of dissent that's showing up at school boards everywhere is resulting in some sort of dramatic escalation in threats and violence. There's no evidence to support that. And so that behavior uh, by the Justice Department is one that's meant to chill free speech and not to enhance it. And for that reason, I'm very judgmental of that. I think I think that's a, a gross abuse of power. All right. So I, I definitely think that, um, you know, dissent is the highest form of patriotism. I believe that we should actually go out and uh, when we have something to say, particularly something that affects your children, you know, I always tell yeah. people, you know, uh, in terms of equitable education, which I think is important, um, because we've seen for years, you know, lots of kids not get uh, fair education in public schools. uh, And I would argue it still happens to this very day. And I I think it's important for parents to be involved and for parents to to have their their voices heard. Uh, When it came to, of course, we've seen a thousand schools shut down um, uh, recently with the Delta variant. So uh, I, I think, you know, we can debate about whether those schools needed to go virtual or not, um, but, uh, and whether 
children needed to wear masks. Mm -hmm. You know, we, you know, I'm sure that's, that's a healthy debate that we can have. Um, but what I will say is that I do think, you know, to, to try to downplay the idea that there are threats and that this union, I don't think that they just made this up and said, Hey, you know, uh, there are threats, you know, we just want to stop these parents and get them to shut up. So we're going to make up threats. I think that there probably are uh, a substantial amount of threats that is concerning uh, the members of this union, the, the teachers and the staff members and the school board members that got concerning. So the union felt like they had to reach out to someone and they couldn't probably reach out to someone in every single locality. Now, I still think that, again, this is a this still seems like it's a local issue. Um, it's not like widespread terrorism. And again, you and I agree, I think that the media is often dishonest and whips up people up into a frenzy because it sells and it gets people all, you know, angry. And I know our producer uh, loves the idea of conflict, but I actually think conflict is bad for America I agree. Uh, when it's unnecessary. I and I think that the media can can get involved in that. Yes. And that's what they've been doing. And that's what this guy who thought that critical race theory was the perfect villain. That's what he did was to create dissent or that where it didn't need to exist and anger where it didn't need to exist and for people to be threatened and to try to uh, change things for his own political purposes. So that's that's my uh, big issue with with all of this. And yes. again, uh, I think, again, we agree on the fundamental part of this. And, and Bill Bennett, there's a whole lot we could say about Bill Bennett, but I'm not going to make this about Bill Bennett. I like Bill but, Bennett. Yeah, yeah, I think he said some things that aren't. He so wrote, he, he put together a couple of great books for children uh, called The Book of Virtues and the Moral Compass, uh, now decades ago. Um, they were huge. They were really um, big to me as growing up as a kid. Um, and, uh, they're good. They're just like classic fables with like with important morals. There's no politics whatsoever in it. Um, and, uh, anyway, so in that way, he's been like, I, I met him once at, at Fox actually in a green room and it's the only time I ever met him. And I, it's weird. Cause like, normally if like, I see somebody who's like, well known, like I don't really have interest in trying to talk to them. But in this particular case, I did go up to him and I said, Hey, uh, you know, you don't know who I am, but your books had played a big role in my life as a kid, you know, just again, they're like, basic you know fables and um uh things that that have a moral to them that were cool so in that way i like him yeah no i i, I never read that and i'm glad he was a good influence on you i think he said some things that were kind of um controversial and, and out of bounds honestly um you know one of the things that of course this famous quote was you know hey if you want to bring crime down you can abort every black baby uh, in America, and then your crime rate would go down. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he said that would be moral. That would be immoral and wrong, but your crime rate would go down. And I mm -hmm. think that there there's some real problems with saying something like that. Yeah, we shouldn't be aborting um, them, boarding yeah. anybody. Well, another discussion. I know it's a big show. one. I'm sorry, we'll crack Don't, that one. Please, open. Vince, you always opening new doors. <laughs> <laughs> let's not let's not do that. I think it's um, bad. I just don't think we should abort 40 percent of the black population every year. That's all. I just, yeah. Uh, we, we, again, a, another discussion for another show. Um, but I think the suggestion of that was pretty despicable. And that's, that's Bill Bennett. That's the Bill Bennett. I know, you know, a different Bill Bennett who all of a sudden talks about morality. But uh, <laughs> one thing I will say 
uh, about morality and being patriotic and Here it being comes. good for our country. I, I like how this segue is flowing. Go ahead. <laughs> is we are wearing it on our chest, and that is Grunt Style. Amen. Uh, if you go to gruntstyle.com, you can get fantastic T-shirts just like us. Uh, they employ hundreds of veterans. They actually right support here. veterans right uh, in lots of here. different ways. Let's see. I'll show you uh, the fish. Right, right. Show you. Oh, look at that. Matt, he's showing you his underwear. There we go. There we go. <laughs> Sorry about that. You um, that. But uh, another thing that they actually do is they help with some concerns that many veterans have in terms of mental health, uh, homelessness. They're really, really devoted to that community. And you don't have to be a veteran to actually wear the shirt. So definitely thank you to Grunt Style. No, not at all. They're, they're yeah. awesome. They... And you can also Chris get a, uh, a discount. Isn't, isn't that correct? Yeah, yeah. You get a discount if you go to gruntstyle.com and enter the promo code STN. That's for Save the Nation. 10% off your order. Um, but what I noticed about these shirts, and, and it's, it's a big deal with tears, is at first wash, they're super soft. Yeah. It's like, it's real nice. It's got, it's, it's got, that, it's got that perfect T-shirt quality like, that, you, that you look for. It's like not every T-shirt I own has that. These ones do. This is this is perfect. I slipped it on today. I was like, damn, that's a that's a good feeling shirt. I like that shirt. Uh, and no, it looks good too. It's good quality. Um, good shirt. Good cause. What are you waiting for? Go to gruntstyle.com, get some of this swag. Yeah. Um, and it'll even grow some hair on your chest. No, I'm kidding. That's right. Uh, but definitely, you know, it's 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 a company that you should check out. They do good things and they're a good company. Vince, what do we got next? Uh, we have a Facebook whistleblower, a woman by the name of Frances Hogan. Uh, she finally, you know, we, we saw some leaks to the Wall Street Journal over these past few weeks of documents, internal documents from Facebook showing things like, well, Facebook knew how much Instagram was harming young girls on its platform and didn't do enough to fix that problem. Uh, and on and on and on. So there's these big reports coming out about Facebook and Instagram and sort of the extent to which they know that they're having a negative effect on society and yet not fixing the problems within their platform. Um, and then Frances Hogan goes public. So over the weekend, she comes out on a 60 Minutes interview uh, and she um, sits down and basically lays out all of the documents that she took from Facebook and what she's hoping to accomplish. And then she testified to Congress this week as well. Here's a bit of uh, a clip of this from NBC showing Francis Hogan uh, testifying before Congress. Facebook under fire tonight. The company's leadership knows how to make Facebook and Instagram safer, but won't make the necessary changes because they have put their astronomical profits before people. Whistleblower Frances Haugen insisting Congress must act against a company she says is misleading the public, promoting hateful and harmful content, holding its CEO to account. In the end, the buck stops with Mark. Haugen left Facebook in May, armed with tens of thousands of internal documents, including some, she says, showing the company knows its Instagram app can contribute to eating disorders in teen girls, a characterization Facebook has disputed. It's just like cigarettes. Teenagers don't have good self-regulation. They say explicitly, I feel bad when I use Instagram and yet I can't stop. Um, we need to protect the kids. And to do that, Haugen says, Facebook must share more about its algorithms, which determine what content pops up on your feed. Incentivized, she says, towards problematic posts. This inability to see into Facebook's actual systems and confirm that they work as communicated 
is like the Department of Transportation regulating cars by only watching them drive down the highway. From Facebook, an aggressive defense. And what you have here today is a former employee who didn't work on these issues and was just at the company a couple of years uh, mischaracterizing some documents that she stole. It seems to me an attempt by Facebook to undermine her credibility. Is your strategy to go after the messenger and not the message? Hallie, my strategy is, and our strategy is to make sure that we're giving people accurate information about what we're doing. Facebook actually has been calling for regulation for more than two and a half years now. On regulating big tech, rare bipartisan agreement. After years of hearings, Congress calling yet again for changes. Those could include internal research released to outside parties, stronger federal oversight that demands transparency from big tech, or a requirement platforms share their proprietary algorithms with regulators. If Facebook is serious and honest, there will be legislation for them to support on privacy, on oversight, on protecting children. We'll see whether they're serious. I hope they are, because big tech is facing its big tobacco moment. It is a moment of reckoning. All right, Frances Hogan or Haugen, as uh, NBC called her, is probably the correct pronunciation. Uh, so she comes out and she's got tens of thousands of documents that she yoinked from uh, Facebook and she brought them out to, to share with the public. What do we think of this, Jason? Man, this is something I've been thinking about a lot. I actually, uh, you know, I fall on both sides of this. And the reason I say that is because um, I think the way that this is going to go is that this could lead to more uh, censorship from big tech. Um, actually, you know, this, this is actually going to lead to them censoring their platform even more, um, which I think is kind of dangerous, you know, mm. um, yes. you know, I, I'm, I'm in terms of breaking up big tech, I'm, I'm kind of in the middle there too. You know, some days I, I feel like absolutely other days I'm like, you know, not really. Um, I, I do think the fact that it's harmful uh to kids means that there should be parental controls like we have on our television um mm -hmm. uh, facebook is also talking about starting a like youth instagram which i don't think is necessarily going to make girls feel better about themselves because they're no. going to see girls who you know look different than they do girls with uh you know more money and more you know and right. look a particular way and, and impossible look, standards yeah yeah their lives look perfect. Mm -hmm. Their bodies look perfect. Um, and girls are going to be incapable of like, like she said, you know, there's, there's going to be this self-regulation thing. They're not going to be able to stop and it's still going to make them feel bad. They're just going to see it from teens instead of adults. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm not sure what the fix is there. And, you know, I'm worried about, um, the idea that big check, big tech is going to shut down more voices. As a matter right. of fact, a lot of people on the left, you know, so many people on the left, I never see it on the right, honestly, or very rarely, um, unless they made like a real threat. But so many people on the left that I know um, have been in so-called Facebook jail. You know, they mm -hmm. say something and then Facebook basically snatches their account for 30 days um, my fear is that 
we are going to have more suppression within the algorithm. Yes. We're going to have more voices um, that are kind of put down. And so, I, you know, and I understand that the fear about disinformation as well. Um, I think a lot of people on the right and left want to, you know, regulate Facebook and regulate um, big tech. And I think there should be some regulation. I'm not so sure how much it's going to help the causes that uh, Ms. Haugen is talking about. Yeah, I so I agree with you uh, that I think that this is going to be the impact of her testimony, if there's any impact at all. It's going to lead to either regulatory um, uh, push for censorship or Facebook and these other big tech companies will feel compelled to censor more content to avoid regulation. Uh, so I, I agree 100 percent. And in fact, I believe that is, I, I know because she said it in her testimony that that is kind of her intent. Uh, she thinks that Facebook should spend more time regulating content on the platform and, and censoring content on the platform. Now, she used I, the same kind of phrasing that you used, which is to go after disinformation on the platform. Now, the, the word disinformation is really in the eye of whoever has to be the judge, right? So you get to to make a call of whether or not that's real or whether that's people should, are entitled to see that or whether they should know it. And so we're investing a lot of power in the referee being Facebook, right, on, on what is and what is not disinformation. And I guarantee you, no matter what your political affiliation is, there have been times where these social media companies have censored content that you know for a fact does not amount to disinformation, yet should have never been caught up in that filter and then was anyway. Um, and that phenomenon you talk about, people being put in so-called Facebook jail, yeah, it's, it's a phenomenon of both the right and the left, users who get put in this situation where they can't use the platform. And typically, your ability to get out of that situation is based only on your power and your wealth and your access. So the more connected you are, the more you have a big audience, the more you have access to members of Congress. If you're Ron Paul and you get banned from, say, YouTube, which he got banned from last week, but it just so happens that your son is a sitting United States Senator, Rand Paul, then all of a sudden Google comes flying in with an apology. That should have never happened. We should have never banned you. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's because this guy's got access to the levers of, of regulation, the, uh, right. the levers of power. Uh, and so these tech companies are are operating in some sense with a gun to their head. Uh, and and I'll, and I'll finish with this final point on children. You know, I, I, uh, I think... If I was running a company and I knew I was leading young people to self-harm on a routine basis, I'd be doing some real soul searching about whether or not I want to keep doing that act and maybe want to pull the plug on it entirely. Because really, I'm, I'm causing young girls to hurt themselves or to, to hate themselves and like get into these vicious spirals. It's time for a gut check on what I'm doing for my career and for my, for my income. Uh, but the other side of it is parents, keep these damn apps off of these damn phones or keep the damn phones out of their hands as long as possible. Now I'm speaking from the young child side. So I have yet to, I have yet to have to grapple with this myself. So in some sense, I'm giving myself a pep talk here uh, leading up into teenage years, but I know for a fact, this is my responsibility until she's 18. It is my responsibility to, to make, uh, to make the calls here. So while yes, Facebook needs to be um, incredibly more responsible, whether that's by government regulation or not, when it comes to the impact that it's having on our society. But at the same time, parents need to step up. You can't just like look at every issue and be like, God, I hope somebody fixes this. It's your job. 
get involved. If nobody else is going to fix it, it falls to you. This is your kid's life we're talking about, and you should play a role in it, whether or not it makes your child popular with her friends. Yeah, <clears throat> I agree. I think some of this, we, we oftentimes put this on structures when, in fact, <clears throat> in this case, you know, some of this has to do with, with parents being involved in their kids' lives, knowing what's, what they're looking at, having conversations at the breakfast table or the dinner table <clears throat> about what it is that kids are consuming. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, social media can be like a knife, you know, you can use or, or an ax, let's say. It can be a tool where you can chop down wood and make firewood and build shelter, but you can also hack someone to death with an ax. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> and so, uh, is it, I guess I'm playing, you know, I don't want to say devil's advocate because I never advocate the devil, but um, is it a situation where uh, Facebook, why is Facebook responsible when it's just the acts? Is it responsible for how you use it? Um, you know, that, that also becomes a question and, or like a firearm or like anything that some Americans are like, look, I should be able to use this freely. Right. Uh, why shouldn't you be able to use uh, social media freely and uh, people be responsible for how responsibly they use that tool? Um, yeah. And so I, I think that that's what it comes down to. I think we should keep firearms out of the hands of children. But then again, you know, I, I don't know that, yes, it harms children, but it probably harms older women as well. You know what I mean? In right. terms of their their self-esteem. Um, well, I don't think it's a coincidence that like all of the um, like a, like all of the ways we measure society and all the negative impacts of society, sort of the deaths of despair, cycles of depression, drug addiction. I mean, if you line all of that up with the arrival of the smartphone. It matches up pretty evenly, like it's like it's and so. I, I agree. It's like, what's the limiting principle here? You know, are we going to really hold gun manufacturers responsible for people misusing guns? Those are, those are all smart questions. But at the same time, there's an addictive quality that, to this particular product that has been fine-tuned by these companies in order to be more addictive that has basically led to um, so many humans that are basically sucked into these, these worlds uh, and don't withdraw from them to their true detriment. And I think that's a meaningful difference. Just So as a, as a healthy society, what we should do is just say, okay, is this making society better or is it not? And, and it's okay to have that conversation and then figure out, okay, like, what do we do to improve the country? What do we do to improve society and these outcomes? Well, you know, when we talk about addiction, usually uh, we're talking about psychological addiction. Sure. And you can be psychologically addicted to anything. You can be psychologically. Now, again, I, I'm not speaking up for any platform. I'm just bringing other elements into this discussion. Um, you can be psychologically addicted to food. You know, you can be psychologically yeah. addicted to marijuana. You can be psychologically addicted, you know, to sex. Mm -hmm. There are many things that you can be psychologically addicted to um, where it will cause you to think less of yourself, you can be psychologically addicted to porn. You, you'll think less of yourself 
and it will change your behaviors to where it's to your own detriment. Right. And, and you know, sometimes to the detriment of others. Um, the question is, is that the responsibility of the marijuana grower? You know, is that the responsibility of the person who makes adult content? Is that the responsibility of, uh, you know, the internet host that allows for these kinds of things? I, mm -hmm. I think that there's, there's a, a discussion to be had societally uh, about that. Um, yeah. And I, I'm not sure exactly where I fall. I mean, I think, you know, of course, I don't want anything that's going to harm children and, you know, my, my oldest child is getting near that age. She's not quite there yet, but she's getting near that age where, you know, I'm sure she's going to start looking at people on television or people in the, in films and movies and, and yeah. all that and be like, wow, they don't look like me. Um, you know, there's really nobody that looks like me. Um, and I think about how that's going to affect her self-esteem. I think black parents have been thinking about that for a long time. You know, when they open their books at school and they don't see people who look like them and they're not included in the curriculum and all, all of these other things. I think a lot of, you know, people have thought about, man, how is this psychologically damaging um, to my children? And as a matter of fact, you know, this kind of connects actually both of these clips that we that we went through in this show. Um, I'm sure you're familiar with the famous experiment by uh, Kenneth Clark, Kenneth and Mamie Clark, right? Yeah, I think you laid it out for me. Remind me. Yeah, yeah the famous the famous doll experiment. Doll experiment. You know what I mean? Okay. Where these kids were going to school and not seeing themselves at all reflected um, in the curriculum, even mm -hmm. though they were in all black environments. And it was damaging that kind of segregation was damaging to their self-esteem. You know, um, they were only reading about, you know, white heroes and, and they were starting to think, man, there must be something wrong with me. Um, and so I think that, you know, including talking about these things openly is important for the education of the future of this nation, which by the way, the future of this nation is going to be black, brown, yellow, and red, you know, as that is becoming uh, a, a larger portion of the nation. I think it's important to, you know, if we want to continue to be a strong nation, we need yeah. to be thinking about how those kids develop socially and emotionally. I guess. In I mean, it kind of seems to me that it kind of oh, seems to me let, that. Okay. okay good. Well, I say I was going to say it kind of seems to me that the future of the country, unless we have some sort of, you know, rampant open border forever is not going to actually be racially defined. It'll be, it'll be much more like nobody, like there's be many fewer racial separations as we get more intermarriage and more like that, that hopefully kind of race basically collapses as a meaningful demographic that people are having to measure. I mean, yeah, look but at- that doesn't happen though. It never It does happens. happen. It, happens, it doesn't happen. It happens Go, a lot. Let me, no, it really doesn't. Let me, let me tell you something. If you think that race is going to disappear, then you would, you know, you could go to our neighbors to the south, which is Latin America. Yeah. Race still very much exists there. Right. Um, even though they are largely, you know, for centuries been mixing um, at much higher rates than we have, because in the United States, we had 
legalize segregation. Like you cannot be in the same space as me. You certainly right. can't marry until loving. So basically, uh, I don't know, you know, your parents' generation, you know, your your dad couldn't have married my mom, probably, at least when they were really young, you know, um, or my my dad couldn't have married your mom because it was literally illegal, certainly in your state of Virginia. Uh -huh. You know, of course, it also make the, it would also, Virginia. It would also make our show a lot more interesting if we yeah, found yeah, out. Yeah, that would be really weird. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but they were married at some point. Wow, holy cow. My, <laughs> my, my stepbrother or uh, or whatever, half-brother. Hey, hey um, that's, that's an idea for a movie. We should do, you know, a Vince and Jason Save the Nation movie where we're actually stepbrothers. Yeah. Yeah, um, it's like what was the uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Danny DeVito uh, movie? Uh, twins. twins. Yeah. yeah. Um, so okay, but here's the thing. Like, I I get that. Like, yeah, there's some people that like race still exists as a category, and people view it that way. That's that's fine. My my only point was what I was saying before is that like, for instance, with Mexican migration into the United States uh, through the decades, there's been a lot of like intermarriage and. And mixing, and it's down to the point that like people are are vaguely associated with being Mexican. We saw it with uh, various racial groups that uh, came into the United States um, throughout throughout the history of the United States. The Italians in intermarriage broadly, Irish in intermarriage broadly. It's like just basically these categories begin to to fray and disappear. And I think basically that's a good thing. Um, you know, you you know you can hold on to the kinds of things culturally that both come from whatever country you came from, but also that you develop within the United States that that people enjoy and that are wonderful and that that add to the character of the country. That's all great. My only point is that um, like hopefully like in a positive future of America, we're not so we're not racially obsessed, like well, to the point that we judge each other, judge anybody right on the basis of of race. And going back to the, the example that you started with, like people not seeing themselves in popular media or the things that they consume. When you say see themselves, what you mean is seeing uh, specifically people whose skin color matches theirs. Um, that's that I, for one, I feel like that'd be kind of typical in a place where a majority of the country is looks a certain way and then only a minority of the country doesn't, right? So you're probably gonna run into, like if you go to Japan, right? You'll probably run into a lot of, like the predominant thing in Japanese media will probably be like Japanese people, right? Like it would be, be pretty you unusual to see yourself by and large, if you're basing it on skin color, to see yourself that way. But I, I think you would think, but if you look, you, you mentioned Mexico. Yeah. If you look at uh, Latin media, particularly coming out of Mexico, you're going to see a lot of blonde haired, blue eyed people. And I can tell you, they're not the majority in Mexico. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like the majority of Mexicans are, you know, are brown people. But again, because those are the wealthy people, those are the people who are seen as attractive. That's what, you know, white supremacist media does. And that's why I say race still exists. You hardly ever see indigenous people. And if they are, they're portrayed as slow or backward or dumb. Um, and, and that's, you know, a big problem. That's why that movie Roma was such a big deal because it finally started an, an indigenous person in a country where there's a large indigenous population. So I don't think that that's necessarily true. And that's what white supremacy, you know, is. And that's what we've been trying to explain. And I agree with you, you know, about race obsession. I just don't agree that people who talk about racism are race obsessed. So I, the thing is, I think the difference between you and me 
is you're looking for a post-racial society. I'm looking for a post-racist society. And mm -hmm. I don't think that, you know, the recognition, you saying Jason Nichols is a black guy. Mm -hmm. I don't think that that's a bad thing. It's okay. I'm black and I'm cool with that. And I'm actually very proud of it. I think it's a beautiful thing. I think it's cool and beautiful that I'm black. I think it's cool and beautiful that you're Italian. And again, I'll say this, you know, you mentioned Italians and Irish. It is true that they, at one point they were considered non-white and you made it seem, or, or the way that you said this mm -hmm. is that you were stating it as though uh, those groups began to not see themselves in racial terms. And the only difference, the nuance there is that I'm saying that they saw themselves in different racial terms. So it wasn't that they stopped seeing themselves racially. They went from seeing themselves, you know, Italian speaking a romance language, being an olive skinned group, started mm -hmm. seeing themselves as white people because they were kind of grandfathered into whiteness. So they still saw themselves racially, but they didn't see themselves as a racial minority. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not saying that, that they, I'm not saying they, they don't. What I'm saying is that over time, so what happened with Italians and Irish in particular and, and Mexicans certainly as well, and every, actually almost every racial category that I can think of in the United States is increasingly over time that you, you begin to think of sort of your mating pool as not limited to your race, right? And so you, you know, and so the end result is that all of the distinctions get fuzzier and fuzzier to the point that they're not able to hopefully be used as successful means of division. That's what I'm arguing. That's what I'm, that's what I'm saying. I, yeah, no, I, I, I hope that race doesn't divide us. It certainly doesn't divide us on this show. Yeah. And we hope that we get viewers of all colors and all races. Thank you for uh, coming on this show with us. Uh, this show is brought to you by Gold Co. Why buy gold? Are you watching what's happening in the world today? The global pandemic, the US debt piling up, spiking inflation, and the looming Biden tax plan. In the 2008 financial crisis, many Americans lost huge amounts of their retirement savings. So what are you doing now to protect your money? Well, many turn to Gold Co. It's the leading precious metals company in the United States and a five-time Inc. 500 winner. With an A-plus rating from the Better Business Bureau and thousands of positive customer reviews, you can trust the team at GoldCo to help protect and grow your wealth. Go to goldco.com slash save the nation to request your free IRA guide that will share secrets with you that financial advisors don't tell you about. So what are you waiting for? Don't delay and fall victim to another stock market crash, inflation hike, or dollar decline. Visit goldco.com slash save the nation and get your free IRA guide today. If you visit goldco.com slash save the nation right now, Goldco will give you up to $10,000 or more of free silver when you open a qualifying account. That's right, up to $10,000 in free silver. We thank Goldco for sponsoring this podcast. Now, back to the show. And we, you can find us every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, Friday anywhere a podcast is found. Uh, also on YouTube and on Facebook Watch. Also, a big shout out to the other Daily Caller shows. Uh, my man, Joe Bob Live, or excuse me, Daily Caller Live with Joe Bob. Great right. show. Everybody needs to be watching that. Joe Bob is just an incredible host. Don't agree with him, but he does some good work. <laughs> and uh, same thing with Hookstead. I'm still waiting for him to invite me on his show so I can argue him down about his terrible sports takes. But 
Uh, he's got a great show as well. You guys are going to enjoy it. Definitely check out uh, Dave Hookstead. It's Dave, right? That's right. It is yeah, Dave. <laughs> Dave. Dave Hookstead. Check out Joe Bob. Uh, they yeah. do wonderful work. And we're going to keep expanding here on The Daily Caller. So check us out. Vince and Jason Save the Nation every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Check out those other shows. And keep on the lookout for how we expand on Daily Caller TV. Peace out.